at this time get into the sermon for today. I'm very excited about this. You know, um, I'm excited because what I'm going to talk about today and for the next few weeks is about the importance of a community. And just like the title of our retreat is, is Better Together, I feel like that's, that's the theme in my heart too, just for our church right now. Because perhaps, you know, more than for a long time, for quite a few years, I think community is something that is more important now than it's been in a long time. Why? Because COVID and the pandemic has done so much to isolate us and separate us from community, from being together. Uh, I feel like it's important uh, for me to talk about this and for us to be reminded of how important community is. So I'm going to be talking about that for a few weeks as well. And we're going to be looking at today Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. That's going to be our passage for today, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, as we, as we look at this subject. Let me read this. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this passage has a particular flow to it, and one of the more obvious parts of uh, the passage where we can see this flow is the repetition of this term, let us, let us. You might have noticed it appears three times in these uh, six or seven verses. In verse 22, when the author says, let us draw near. In verse 23, when he says, let us hold fast. In verse 24, when he says, let us consider how. Let us, let us, let us. So there's something that the author of Hebrews is exhorting us to do together. Let us do these things. Now, what are these things that he's calling us to do? I want to look at them one at a time here. The first one, the first let us, was let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, we're diving right in to the middle of Hebrews. So it's kind of like, you know, you're a paratrooper being dropped into the middle of who knows where, right? So um, there's obviously a lot that's been happening in Hebrews 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way up until 10. So let me just uh, give a super short, concise summary and to say, um, what is happening here? In, in the book of Hebrews, the author is talking about how you know, humanity, how we have never been able to draw near God. We haven't been able to. There's always been a buffer between us and God in some way, shape, or form. Why? Because of our sin. 
Ever since Adam and Eve sinned and they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, uh, an angel and a flaming sword guarded the way back into the Garden of Eden. There was a separation between mankind and God because of sin. And when we look at the Old Testament, when we read the Bible, there was always some type of buffer, something in between man and God because of the sinful condition of mankind. So, for example, in the priesthood, in the priesthood, the author of Hebrews says this. When we think about what was happening in the Old Testament priesthood, in chapter 9, the author said, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, the holy place of the temple, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, which is the holy of holies, which is what's depicted here in this picture, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. You see, in the Old Testament, when God said, you can approach me, but the way that you do it is you have to be very, very careful. It can only happen once a year, and it can't just be anybody. Certainly no Gentiles could go into the Holy of Holies. Not just any Israelite can go into the Holy of Holies. Not just because you're born of the tribe of Levi can you go into the Holy of Holies. Not because you're a priest within the tribe of Levi can you go into the Holy of Holies. But only one priest, the high priest, and only one time a year can this person go into the Holy of Holies. And you know what? He can't just go in there. He can't just waltz in there. He has to bring a sacrifice. He has to bring a, the blood. He has to bring the sacrifice in an animal because he himself is sinful and needs to approach God with a sacrifice for his own sins. In fact, it was so, the high priest, when he went in there, it was such a nerve-wracking thing that they would put a, a little uh, uh, bells on an anklet around his ankle so that they would hear him when he was walking around back there, that in case he died, they would know because there was no more sound and they would have to pull him out with a rope. It was, it was a really, really crazy thing. This is what it was like to approach God. You couldn't just do it. But now... The author of Hebrews says here in chapter 10, we can approach God, we can draw near. Why? Because we have a great priest over the house of God. Who is this great priest that he's talking about? Well, it's Jesus, who is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the greatest of the high priests who entered into the presence of God. But what about the offering? What about the sacrifice? Well, the thing is, Jesus himself was the sacrifice. It was through the blood of Jesus, through his flesh that was torn and broken by which he was able to enter into the presence of God. So not only is Jesus the high priest, but he also brings the offering of himself, his own death upon the cross. Why? So that now, all of us who believe in Jesus, who have faith in Jesus, we can draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. It says that Jesus, when he cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
At the same time, when his body was torn upon the cross, the curtain that separated those from outside of the most holy place from God inside was torn in two as well. There was no more separation for those who trust in Jesus. So that is why now we can draw near to God with a true heart. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, I love that part here about a true heart. What does that mean? It means you can truly, really draw near God. You don't need to be on the outside looking in. You don't need to be on the outside looking in thinking, you know what, can God really accept me? I mean, can God really love me? He knows my past. He knows my failures. He knows who I am and all the ways that I've messed up. Can God, can I really come near God? I don't know. I think I'll sit in the real back. I think I'll just stay away. I think I'll just be on the outside looking in. No, you can truly approach God because Jesus has offered the sacrifice of himself. So, well, that's weird. Uh, It's not a question mark. Something changed here in the formatting. But let us draw near. What that is talking about is what Christ has done. What Christ has done. Because Jesus has offered himself once and for all, we can draw near God. Now, let's look at the second one here in verse 23. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, what what is that talking about here? Basically, it's this. Because of what Christ has done, we can draw near to God. You're a child of God. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're accepted by him. You're loved by him. You are in Christ. And if that is the case, then we can hold on to every promise of God about what he says will happen to us and what will happen in the future because now we are in Christ Jesus. All of those promises apply to us. For example, in Revelation 21, when he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's true for each and every one of us, that we will one day be in a place where there is no more sin and there will be no more pain, no more brokenness, no no more mourning, no more crying, because God will have done away with sin and you will have made all things new. The promise of Philippians 1, which says this, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is one of my favorite verses. That promise applies to you. That, you know, have you ever thought, man, I, 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 I fail time and again. Am I really gonna change? Is God really going to to, to help me to grow? Am I really going to be transformed and become like Christ? His promise is yes. Don't give up pursuing God because the work that he began in you, he will complete. He will not give up. He will complete that work in you that is a promise from God. One last one here, Paul in 2 Timothy. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, 
but also to all who have loved his appearing. God also promises that if we pursue him and we don't give up, not only will he change us and will we, will we be made like him in that last day, but God will even reward us for everything that we have done for him in this lifetime. There will be stored up for us the crown of righteousness, the promise that it is worth it. And every sacrifice that you make in this life, God sees and God rewards in the life that is to come. That all of these promises are true. So if verse 22 was talking about what Christ has done so that we can draw near, verse 23 talks about who we will be, who we will be, what God is going to do. So let us hold on to these promises of God. Now, thirdly and lastly here, verse 24, it says, let us consider how. Here in verse 24, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What, what is the point here? The point of this third let us is this, and it's simply this. We need each other. We need each other. I need you. You need me. Y'all need each other. Every one of us in Christian life, we need each other. We need this community. It is not enough to simply think about what Christ has done for us. It is not enough to think about who we will be. You see, because to get from, sorry about the formatting today, but to get from what Christ has done to who we will be in Christ, to, 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 to travel this journey, to get from that place to that future place and, and to continue on in this road, it's challenging, brothers and sisters. It's not easy, is it? I mean, we have to constantly fight our sinful nature and temptation. Satan is trying to bring you down and knock you off of the path of following Jesus. The world that we live in is broken and filled with broken people, and this world will hurt you at times. Maybe even the church will let you down, and the church at one point or another may hurt you. Maybe you will wonder if you are loved by God, or you may doubt that. Or maybe at times when you're trying to serve God, you're trying to follow him, but you fail, and you doubt, and you wonder, can God really use me? Oh, can we go back? I didn't press anything. We may wonder if God can really use me. This is why we need others to remind us of what Christ has done and who we will be. And when we do that, we receive encouragement from each other to be able to love God, love others, and do good works to show others the beauty of Christ. Now, this is why we need each other. Because we need to encourage each other. Because we need to spur one another on to love and good works. Now, forget this next graphic, because you're going to be like, what is going on here? 
This is not what it looked like when I made it here. Uh, uh, oh, magic. Okay, guys, where are we? Okay, there we are, okay. To get, if, to get from what Christ has done, understanding that that is who we are in Jesus, to who we will be. All the promises of God fulfilled within us. That journey to get from there to there, if we are going to be able to do that, if we are going to be able to love others and to do good works, for this road to be filled with love and good works, it takes the encouragement of other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it takes. It is necessary. It is not optional, brothers and sisters. I know nowadays a lot of people out there may say things like, you know, my, my relationship with God, my spirituality, it's a very personal thing. It's between me and God. I don't really need other people. I'm not really into organized religion. Good luck with that because the Bible says you will not make it. You won't. If you think just simply knowing what Jesus has done for me, I can draw near God, me and him all day long, and I know who I'm going to become because of his promises, and you think that you can get from A to B through this life on your own, not to mention living a life of love and filled with good works, it's never going to happen. We need each other. I need you. You need me. You all need each other. We need to encourage one another along the way in this race. Community and relationship is not negotiable. We need it, brothers and sisters. It, now, with that being said, let me, let me um, flesh this out a little bit more here in terms of how we are to do this, because the author of Hebrews gets specific. First of all here, he says this, let us consider. Let us consider this, how we are to do this. Now, the word consider there means to give careful thought or consideration to something, to really think carefully about this. So what he's saying is, when it comes to encouraging each other, it's not something that we just do casually. It's not something that we just do flippantly, kind of like, oh, you're feeling really bad today? Hey, man, don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. That kind of encouragement. No, a careful, careful thought given, considering carefully how to encourage each other. This word, for example, in a few other places in the Bible, and in earlier in chapter 3 of Hebrews, he tells us to consider Jesus and how he is greater than Moses. And he talks about all of this theology about why Jesus is greater than Moses. That's not a casual, flippant, light thing. He's telling us to really think about who Jesus is and why he is greater than Moses and how he has become the one who has fulfilled the law for us. To think carefully about it. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus used the same word when he said to consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
Jesus is, is telling the people, his disciples, think really carefully about this. Observe ravens. Think about how they live. Did you notice that they don't have like a house? They don't have a, they don't, you know, store up their food in a barn, but they live because of God's grace, because of God's care. And if that's the case, think about your own life how much more valuable you are than ravens. Jesus told the disciples to really consider this and think about this. Brothers and sisters, when we, what the author is telling us to do is when we encourage each other, it's something that should take thought, careful thought, if we are going to encourage each other. You know, I've, um, I think I've shared this before, but you know, when I was in, Many years ago, when I was doing college ministry, there was this one guy who was having a, one student, he was having a really difficult time. It was like finals time, crunch time. And he was just getting slammed with studies and he was so tired. And, and I was just thinking about him and, and wondering about him, how he was doing. And, and I said, you know what? This guy, one thing I knew about him was that he, he loved Indian food. He's not Indian, he's East Asian, but he loved Indian food. It was his favorite food. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go to Trader Joe's and just buy him a whole bag of frozen Indian food. Maybe I was too cheap to go buy the hot food or something in the restaurant. I went, I bought all this frozen Indian food from Trader Joe's, and I remember I just went to his dorm or his apartment, wherever he was, and I, and I brought it to him, and I just said, hey, I just wanted to bring this to you. I, I know you're going through a lot of stuff right now. You're really, you're really tired. I just wanted to, to bless you with this and encourage you. He took that food and his eyes, he was like so thankful for it. I could tell he was so touched by this. And I was like, great, enjoy that food. I hope you like it and just wanted to encourage you. You know, years later, multiple times, he still talks about that day when I dropped off that food for him as like the most touching thing I've ever done for him. Now, I, I was discipling this guy for years. I was like in, in ministry with him, serving with him, doing all these different things. But it was this one bag of Indian food that was like a 30 bucks that he refers back to again and again and again as being one of the things that I did that touched him the most in his life. I was like, what? It's just 30 bucks, man. Why? You know, I think it was because, I think it was because for him, that bag of Indian food said, you thought about me. You know me. You know what I really like, what I love. You know what would really encourage me and bless me. You thought about that, and you went to get specifically that for me. And because of that, it really, really touched his heart. I think that's what the author of Hebrews is saying when he says, let us consider, let us think about how we can really encourage somebody else. Maybe if somebody feels bad because they've sinned and they feel like they've let God down, maybe it means coming and sharing about how you similarly have failed in the past and how you were discouraged as well and how God lifted you up. Maybe somebody feels like they're failing in, in ministry or serving the Lord. Maybe it means coming and saying, you know what? I've seen God work in you in this way in how you cared for people and how you led that group and what you did. Remember that time when you really reached out to that person and God used you for that? And you're showing that you saw God at work and you're able to say, I know God is still not done with you yet. And he wants to do great things through you yet still. 
It means being thoughtful and considerate about how we encourage each other. Now, why, why do we need to do this? Because he says here, we want to stir up each other. We need to be thoughtful and considerate about how we encourage because what we want to do at the end of the day is we want to stir each other up. The word stir up here in the Greek is, you could translate it as provoke, provocation. Now this is um, actually in the Bible, this word is used negatively in the Greek. It's used negatively more often than it's used in a positive way. But I think the reason for that, that the author of Hebrews is using it here is he's saying we want to sharply provoke people with our encouragement where it really produces a change within them. What we want to do is we want to think hard and consider how we can encourage each other so we can really catalyze somebody's faith. So that after speaking with you, after you write them that email, after you write them that letter, the person goes, yes, I can love God. Yes, I can love other people. Yes, God can use me to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to other people, that there is a change, that you were a catalyst in their life, that you provoked something within them to say, yes, the promises of God will not fail, and I can hold on to those. That's what we want to do when we consider how to stir each other up to love and good works. He also says here that we are to not neglect meeting together. And brothers and sisters, this is so important because COVID has isolated us. Sunday services went online. Community groups went online. Back in 2020, everything went online. And you know what? It was understandable. Things were crazy back then. And you know what? It's still understandable that if you're online, maybe if there's a significant risk to you or, or to, to somebody that you live with or somebody in your life, it's, it can still be understandable. That's, that's not the issue here. But the thing is this. Here's the issue. And the author of Hebrews points this out. He says, we're not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Here's the problem. Not that in 2020, we went online for everything. Not that if there is still a significant risk to you, that you're still doing that. Maybe that's necessary. That's understandable. Here's the problem. The problem is, when isolation, when separation, when this mentality of saying, you know what, I can just do this on my own, when it becomes a habit. You know, habits don't just suddenly happen. They develop over time. The problem is, is when this mentality of isolation and separation and, and not needing other people, when it becomes a lifestyle choice. That's when it becomes a problem. Maybe, for some of you now, the idea of going to church, the idea of being in a community group, the idea of meeting up with others and, and just putting yourself out there for the sake of relationship, maybe because of this pandemic and what it's done, these things have started to feel optional. 
or maybe even like a hassle. That happens. That habit can develop. I think the author of Hebrews was well aware that that can happen back then in those days. It was happening back then just as it happens now, and he warns us. He says, don't neglect meeting together. Man, this is something that we really need to hear today. Barna Group came out with a a survey just this year, just uh, recently, I think last month, that talked about church attendance and how it's changed since COVID. And one of the striking statistics that I read is one out of six people have just dropped out of community altogether. One out of six people, that's the red up there in the top, have just entirely stopped coming out the church. Um, And I'm certain that for a lot of those people, the reason may be it has become a habit. It has become a lifestyle choice. Not only that, uh, there's this other graphic here about church attendance in 2022 as well. And the really interesting thing here, the striking thing here is that about half of all people now, at this point still, are attending either exclusively online or some mix, some hybrid of online and in person. And again, I can't help but feel that that high a number of people still in that type of a situation, that there is some type of habit developing, that it is not just a health issue, but maybe there is a lifestyle choice that is happening here, a neglecting to meet together that is becoming a habit. You know, if, again, there are legitimate reasons for maybe attending service online or attending small group online, there definitely are. But if it is becoming a lifestyle choice for you, brothers and sisters, I would beg you to reconsider. The church is meant to meet together. Christian life is meant to be done together. And I would argue that the Bible as well teaches this that Christian life is meant to be in person and not done at a distance, not done remotely. You know, Paul, even though he was a prolific letter writer to the churches, he said this in Romans 1, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul had the the technology of his day. He wrote lots of letters, letters that have become super important for the church. But he said, man, I long to be with you face to face. I long to be together with you. Why? So that when we are together, we can encourage each other. Because that's what happens when we come together, when we meet together, brothers and sisters. You know, last point here from the passage is this word meet together here um, as well as an import, is important too because this word in the Greek is episunagoge. Now, episunagoge, you may recognize some familiarity in that word because the word sunagoge is the word synagogue, the modern word that we use, synagogue. And um, I think the author of Hebrews chose a different word, epi synagogue, in order to differentiate 
the believers of Jesus from the Jews who did not accept Jesus as their Lord. They chose a different word, episunagoge. But I think you can see the point here. It's about the gathering together of the people. The gathering together. Now, this word, episunagoge, is used only one other time in the New Testament. One other time. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. It says this. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together, that's the word, episunagoge, our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about at the end of time, when Jesus returns and and we see him coming on the clouds of heaven and he calls all those who are believers, all the Christians to himself and we will be caught up in the air together with Christ. We will be episunagoge. We will be gathered together with him. That is gonna be happening in person with Jesus face to face. Trust me, when that happens, you do not want to get a Zoom call from Jesus that this is taking place, right? That is no good. That is no good if that's what you get at that moment. You want to be there in person, face to face. There is no replacement. That's the only other use of this word, episunagoge, when Jesus gathers the people of God together to himself. Brothers and sisters, you can't encourage somebody if you don't know him or her. And you can't get to know him or her unless you spend time with them. How are you gonna know if somebody is discouraged and in need of encouragement unless you're there to see that he's discouraged? How are you gonna tell someone um, that you see what God has done in her life and how God is still gonna use you. Even though you may feel down, you may feel like a failure right now because of all the ways that God has used you in the past and how you've seen God work in her, unless you've been there to see God work in her, unless you've walked together, unless you've journeyed together, you can't. This is why it's so important for us to meet together. We cannot get from what Christ has done for us to who we will be. We cannot travel that road filled with love and good works without our brothers and sisters surrounding us, encouraging us, and exhorting each other, saying, come on, brother. Come on, sister, you can do it. I've seen God do amazing things in you, and he is not done with you. And God is going to do so much more. Let us go together. Simple applications today, brothers and sisters. I invite the worship team up at this time. First, let us simply recommit to being together. To being together in person. The church has met together on Sundays, every Sunday, for 2,000 years. That's not only the pattern we see in the Old Testament, from the Old Testament Sabbath, 
It's also the pattern we see in the New Testament with the Lord's day and the gathering together for the Lord's day. Let us recommit to being together. We need to recommit to this after all that this pandemic has done to separate and isolate us. We hope that you, if, you, if you are online, we cannot wait to see you together with us in person. And we hope that as soon as you are able to, that you will join us. Brothers and sisters, our community group, sign ups for that. Start next week. I, I encourage you, I exhort you to sign up for a community group, to be in community together with people regularly. Brothers and sisters, relationships are not confined just to Sunday services, to our community groups. You know, like today, grab somebody. Say, hey, let's have lunch together. Let's get to know each other. Let's, let's encourage each other over lunch this day. Find somebody who works near you and grab lunch with them during the week. Let us commit to being together again. And secondly and lastly, ask yourself this question. Who can you stir up today? Let that be a prayer when you wake up in the morning. Like Hebrews 3.13 says to encourage each other, exhort each other, it's the same word, every day, as long as it's called today. Man, I want to encourage you, when you wake up in the morning, to pray to God and say, God, who can I encourage today? Let me think about that. Who is in need of encouragement? Who needs a word of God? Who needs to be reminded of the promises of God in his or her life? And I believe that if that is your heart, that is your prayer, God is going to use you to encourage people again and again and again. Man, Christian life, when you wake up, it is exciting because God will have an assignment for you that day. God will have somebody in your life that you can lift up so that they will run this journey with God filled with love and good works. Some of you, like Romans 12 said, you may even have the gift, the spiritual gift of encouragement. Man, we need you. We need you. If that's you, if you've ever seen God work through you in that way, man, we especially need you to lift others up. Brothers and sisters, we all need encouragement. You know, I need encouragement. I was just reading an article in the Times, like an op-ed a few days ago. There was something titled about, you know, why pastors are quitting. And it said 42% of pastors in the past year have considered quitting the ministry because of navigating the churches through COVID and the craziness of the previous election cycle and the polarization in the country and, and race relations and all these things and always feeling like they can't please everybody and, and people are shouting and all these things. 42%. Now, I'm not thinking about quitting. Don't worry. But I was like, man, it's tough too. I need encouragement as well. And I know you need encouragement. And the person sitting on your left and your right, they need encouragement. We all need to encourage each other. I think about Barnabas, who was called Bar Nabas, son of Nabas encouragement. And I think about when, when, when Paul and Barnabas, and they were about to go on their missionary journey, another missionary journey, and Paul said, let's take Mark with us. Barnabas said, let's take Mark with us. And Paul said, no, Mark, that, that loser, he, he abandoned. Remember, he abandoned us last time on our other missionary journey. We can't trust him. We can't take him. 
Could you imagine how it must feel like to be Mark, to know that the apostle to the Gentiles, this incredible man doing miracles of God, preaching and God working through powerfully said, would basically, you're not to be trusted. You're, 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 you're no good for this ministry. Stay home. I don't know about you, but if I heard that from Paul, man, I would be pretty deflated. I'd be like, okay, I'm not in the game anymore. I'm the water boy now. Forget it. I'm hanging my cleats up. But then along comes Barnabas. And I don't know what Barnabas said to him, but Barnabas said, no, I believe in you, Mark. I believe in you so much that forget Paul. I'm going with you. Come with me because God's not done with you. And something Barnabas said, I don't know, Mark believed in himself. He believed that God wasn't done with him. And Mark went on to go with Barnabas. And eventually Paul said, in the future, he said, bring Mark along because he's useful to me in the ministry. Paul's perspective of him changed. Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, one of the most precious books of the Bible, source material, most likely, for other Gospel writers as well. Man, can you imagine if Mark gave up at that point? What did Mark need? He needed encouragement. And whatever Barnabas said, he stirred him up. He provoked him in his spirit. God's not done with you. The promises of God are still true for you. Come on, man. Let's go. And man, the rest is history. Mark ran that race. And he lived a life filled with love and good works. Let's rise together, brothers and sisters. I believe I believe in you. I believe that God can use you to encourage those around you. Brothers and sisters, we need it. We need you. I need you. Every one of us, we need you. You are needed. Do not think that you are not needed. You are critical and crucial to us making it and living a life of love and good works. Father, we just pray right now. I pray, oh Lord, that you would come. That you would come, God. And Lord, that you would stir within our hearts, God, the understanding, the deep need that we have for each other, God. Lord, that they, our hearts would be galvanized and, and recommitted to the community, recommitted to each other to say that, you know, I will not neglect meeting together. No, I will, I will continue to value the community because I need to be encouraged and I am needed to encourage other people, God. That's the only way we're going to make it. That's the only way I'm going to make it. Oh, God, Lord, would you stir up our hearts for that? Stir up our hearts for that, Lord God. Stir up our hearts for that, Lord God. Oh, Lord, bring us to that place, God. Bring us to that place, God. You know, right now, can I ask you, could you just pray for the person to your left and to your right? Could you just take a moment right now and pray for them and just pray that God would encourage him or her in their walk wherever they are? If they... Maybe you know that they're not a Christian. Pray that God would reveal himself to him or her. Can we just take a moment right now and just apply this right away and pray for the person in your left and your right. Say, God, would you encourage my brother or sister?